As we prepare to hear another portion of God's word, uh, today's scripture reading will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Again, that was Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Uh, if you have a, a copy, a uh, red uh, book in the pew, that'll be page 810, page 810. And it reads, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Amen. Again, that was Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Amen. You know, sometimes it's good to just explain to people where you're coming from, the assumptions you're making, the background, the, the, the frame of reference that you're speaking from, especially these days when there is such a diversity of views and uh, worldviews, ways of life, when there are so many different people that, um, that approach life from different presuppositions, it's really good to establish sometimes where you're coming from. You know, we talk about being a Bible people, and that's what we want to be. As a church family here at Katy, we want to be a people that love the Bible, that read the Bible, that practice what the Bible teaches. There are some things that we just need to establish, and we shouldn't just assume that everybody automatically understands our frame of reference. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Maybe if you've got a paper copy of your Bible, you might even just be able to look and right in the middle of mine here this morning, there's a page, a blank page with nothing written on it except the New Testament begins here. And I have noticed, over the years I've noticed that there is probably more religious error that arises from a failure to distinguish between the Old and New Testaments than maybe from any other single issue in reading God's Word. I really believe that's true. I believe that when, when we look at the Bible and we look at God's Word, we need to understand what it is that we're reading, and there is a very clear distinction that the Bible itself makes, not just because somebody decided to print a page that says the New Testament begins here, but there's a distinction that's made in the Scriptures themselves between the Old and New Testaments. And I want to explain that to you this morning because this is about our frame of reference. You know, people sometimes come to me and they'll say, Mr. John, I've been worshiping with the church here in Katy for a little while and I'm wondering, why don't you have instruments in your worship? Why don't you use pianos and guitars and things like that? Maybe they ask you the same kinds of questions. And one of the things they'll say is, if you go back to the book of Psalms, you'll find that David and others, they praised God with harps and with stringed instruments. The Old Testament teaches that. It's a failure, I believe, to distinguish between the old and the new that causes those kinds of arguments to take place. Or somebody might ask this, why do you Christians worship on Sunday when the Old Testament says that God wants people to remember the Sabbath, which was Saturday, and keep that day holy? What's the difference? 
And again, it comes back to a failure to distinguish the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. Let's talk about the difference between the two this morning. Some principles in God's Word that will help you to be a better student of the Bible. And again, to understand the frame of reference from which we want to preach and to teach God's Word. We want to be a New Testament people, a people that are dedicated to following and serving Jesus Christ, and we want to get our authority for everything we do from the pages of the New Testament. Why is that so? Let's talk about that for a few moments this morning. In the first place, I want everybody to understand right off the bat, there are two great divisions in the Bible. Maybe this is old news to you, but I know that there are some that this is new for them. And that's great. If you're just learning these things, wonderful. We're glad that you're here and we're glad that you're hearing this. There are two great divisions in the Bible. They are called the Old Testament or sometimes the Old Covenant and the New Testament or sometimes the New Covenant. Let me share with you some of the features of those distinctions. The Old Testament is this section of your Bible, the front of it, if you will. It's 39 books. There are 39 books in your Old Testament. They begin with Genesis and they go through the book of Malachi. And in those 39 books, I like numbers, just, I'm just kind of wired that way sometimes. 512, 5512, there's even a rhythm to it. Those 39 books can be divided that way, 512, 5512. They're different kinds of books, they're different genres, they're different styles of writing. The first five are books of law, the next 12 are books of history. The, five, the next five are books of poetry and then five major prophets. And then at the end of the Old Testament, there are 12 what we call minor prophets. And the difference between the major and the minor prophets is merely that the major prophets are longer books and the minor prophets are shorter books. And when you read your Old Testament, you're reading those kinds of books. Law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, God's law to Israel. Again, Joshua all the way down to Esther. You're reading books of history. You're reading the history of the Israelite people in the Old Testament when you're reading those books. We need to understand what it is that we're reading when we read the Old Testament. It's a law given to the nation of Israel. It's a, it's a covenant that God made with them. And it's the history of what God did among them for many centuries. But then when you turn to the New Testament, you'll find at the front of your Bible or the back of your Bible, you'll find that there are 27 books in your New Testament. They begin with the book of Matthew and they conclude with the book of Revelation. And if you like remembering the numbers, 512, 5512 is the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's 41211. 4-1-21-1. The four refer to the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are records of Jesus' life from four different perspectives, four different points of emphases, all talking about Jesus and what he came to this world to do. The one refers to the book of Acts, it's a book of history. It shows the history of the early New Testament church. And I would say this, if you are visiting with us and been worshiping with us for a while, what we're trying to do here as a body of believers in Katy, Texas in 2023, we are trying to replicate the same principles and practices that we find the early church doing in the book of Acts. That's all we're about. We want to do what they did, because if we believe we do now, what, if we can do now what they did then, we will be now what they were. They were New Testament Christians faithful to the Lord in the book of Acts. 
You'll find 21 epistles in the New Testament. Those are letters that were written from apostles most of the time to churches or to individuals. And those letters have a tremendous amount of doctrine. They teach about what it means to live in Jesus, what it means to serve him. And then the final book of the New Testament is a book of prophecy, the book of Revelation. And so when you read your New Testament, you're reading those kinds of documents. Let's continue as we study the difference between the Old and New Testaments. Number two this morning, God's word, brothers and sisters, clearly contrasts the Testaments. There is a clear distinction that is made between the old and the new, not just because somebody printed a page in the middle of the Bible, but because God's word indicates there was an old covenant, an old testament, and there is a new covenant, a new testament. God's word indicates that. Let me share with you just a couple of passages that teach this. Just a moment ago, Robert read from Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, do not think that I, Jesus, have come to abolish the law. He's talking about the Old Testament or the prophets, the Old Testament. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, he says, till heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one jot, not one uh, dot shall be uh, passing away from the law until all is accomplished or fulfilled. What is Jesus saying here? Well, in the first place, for our purposes, he's saying there's a difference between the old and the new. There's a difference between what, what was before and what will be after his, his death and resurrection. He's also saying that he has come not just to abolish, not just to take away, but he's come to fulfill the old law. And somebody says, well, what does that mean? Let me tell you the difference between the Old and New Testament as succinctly as I can. The Old Testament is like a doctor that can tell you you're sick, but cannot do a thing to, to help you, to cure you. The Old Testament is like a doctor that you go to and the doctor says, I'm sorry, I've got terrible news, you're sick and there's nothing I can prescribe, there's no surgery I can perform, there's nothing I can do to help you to fix you, you're just sick. The Old Testament was like that. It could tell you you're sick but there's no savior, there's nobody that can take care of your sin. The New Testament is not only telling us that we're sick, that we're lost, that we're outside of Christ, that we're sinners, but the New Testament tells us there's a savior and when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill, what he's saying is, I have come to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament, that God was going to send a Messiah, that God was going to send a Savior. And the new covenant is how God makes that known today. There's a difference between the old and the new. Again, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7, the Hebrews writer says this, if the first covenant, the Old Testament had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second, a new testament. That's what he's writing about there in Hebrews chapter 8. Again, in Hebrews 8 verse 13, he says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one, the old one, obsolete. What's becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. The Bible makes the distinction. We did not invent this. This is not something that's new and something that just came out of nowhere. The Bible makes a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament in a number of passages, many more that we could add to this lesson. A third principle as you think about the difference between the old and the new. The Bible teaches brothers and sisters and friends, listen very carefully. We cannot be under two testaments at once. You have to pick, you have to choose. 
If you want to serve God, you have to choose which testament, which covenant am I going to be try, am I going to try to be justified under? Because you can't do both. Either you pick the Old Testament or you pick the New Testament. You cannot be under two at once. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, he says, do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, talking about the Old Testament, that the law is binding on a person only so long as he lives. And then he uses this illustration. It's about marriage. He says, if a married woman, she, she's bound to her husband as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. In other words, if you're married to somebody, you can't go get married to somebody else while your first spouse lives. That's adultery. That's the biblical definition of adultery, to be married to one person and then to be with another person that's not your spouse. And he's saying we are guilty of spiritual adultery if we try to be under the old law and the new law at the same time. It says she would be called an adulteress, talking about this woman in verse three, if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. And then here's the conclusion in verse four. Watch this. He's talking about the Old and New Testaments here. He says, likewise, my brothers, talking to Christians, you have died to the law, the Old Testament, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. When we became Christians, when those people in the first century became Christians, they were saying, no, they were dying to the old law. They were saying, I'm not going to try to be justified by that old law anymore. I'm going to seek justification through Jesus and what he has done for me at the cross under the New Testament so that we might bear fruit unto God. God contrasts the old and new and God says, if you try to be under two testaments at the same time, that is spiritual adultery. We cannot, we must not go back to the book of Psalms or the book of Genesis or the book of Leviticus in order to try to justify what we're doing religiously today. You can't do it. It is to be guilty of spiritual adultery. Worse yet, Galatians 3 verse 10, it's to be under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Either you do all that's written in the Old Testament or you are, if you're trying to be justified under both systems, you're guilty of spiritual adultery, you're under a curse. We can't be under two Testaments at the same time. You just can't. You can't go back and pick and choose which of the old law that you want to abide by and say, well, that's, that's the moral law. That's not the ceremonial law. People try to make that distinction. The Old Testament never does. You cannot be justified that way. You can't be under two testaments at once. Next, brothers and sisters and friends, in 2023 AD, today, no one is under the Old Testament. We certainly are not. We're not under the Old Testament. There are profitable things about the Old Testament, more about that in a moment, but we are not justified, we are not right with God based on what the Old Testament says, but rather the new. Watch these passages. In Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15, it's speaking of Jesus, it says, he himself is our peace. He has made both one, Jews and Gentiles, he's broken down in his flesh. It's talking about the cross, the dividing wall of hostility. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus built a bridge. He built a bridge for Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled to God into one body. And it says in verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the old law. He became the savior that God had promised. And in fulfilling the old law, he took it out of the way and he made a new covenant, a new law, a new way for people to be right with God. Don't go back to the Old Testament to try to be right with God today. That's not how men are justified. We are justified under the new law, under the new covenant by Jesus Christ by what he did for us at the cross. Even on the, at the Lord's Supper, uh, excuse me, at the Last Supper, in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What did Jesus believe he was doing when he went to the cross? He believed he was establishing a new covenant, a new testament. We're not under the Old Testament anymore. Hebrews chapter eight, verse six, as it is, the Hebrews writer says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. It is enacted on better promises. If you just look at that one verse, the Hebrews writer is trying to argue and reason with his brethren. They used to be Jews. They grew up in Jewish households. They believed in the old law, the old covenant, the Old Testament. And he's saying what Jesus has done is better He's a better mediator. He's got better promises. It's a better covenant in every way than the old was. Don't try to be under the old law. It's inferior and it lacks a savior. It lacks someone who can pay the price for your sin. That's what Jesus has done for all of us. We're not under the Old Testament today. Continuing, some people say, well, you members of Churches of Christ, you don't believe in the Old Testament. That is as far from the truth as it can be. I believe this. I preach and I teach lessons from the Old Testament. I believe all of us ought to read the Old Testament. It is profitable. It is, the New Testament tells us, it is worthy of study. There are things you learn about God in the Old Testament that are just so insightful and helpful for us to know him better. You ought to read the Old Testament enthusiastically. You ought to read it devotionally, but you should not go to the Old Testament to try to be right with God. There's a difference. It's still worthy of study though. Consider these passages. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. Paul's talking about the Old Testament. He says these things, he's been talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. He said these things happened to them, those Israelites as an example. But they were written down for our Christians instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. He's saying it's good to be a Christian and it's good to be a Christian who learns from some of the trials and the struggles and the challenges that those Israelites had. It's good that we can read about their experiences and we can see how God works in history and what God does with people. We can see who he is by reading the old law, the Old Testament. That's why it's still in our Bibles. It's worthy, it's profitable for our study. Continuing, Romans 15, verse four, whatever was written in former days, other translations have, the things that were written aforetime, it's talking about the Old Testament there. The things that were written before, they were written for our instruction, our learning, so that through endurance or patience and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The Old Testament is profitable for us. We can read it, we can learn about God, we can learn about faithful heroes of faith through all the ages. We can learn about how God interacts with people. We can learn about our need for a savior and those people in the Old Testament needed a savior. 
We can learn all those things and it brings us encouragement, it brings us hope to study from the Old Testament. But we do not go to the Old Testament to try to find what must I do to be right with God? What must I do to be a child of God? How should I respond to God in faith? We don't answer those kinds of questions by studying our Old Testament, but rather the new. And that leads us to number six this morning. Again, it's good to have a frame of reference. It's good for people to understand where you're coming from in a religious discussion or any kind of discussion. We are, brothers and sisters and friends, in 2023 under the New Testament. Since Jesus died on the cross and since the offer of salvation and forgiveness was given on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the New Testament has been the way that God reconciles people to himself. We are under the New Testament today. John 12, 48, Jesus says this, whoever does not receive my words, whoever rejects me has what judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. When you and I stand before God on the last day, the day of judgment, it's the word of Christ. It's the word that Jesus spoke. It's the New Testament that's going to be our judge. That's what the Lord's indicating. Again, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, watch this, except through me. You cannot get to the Father through the Old Testament. Not anymore. You can't come to him through the law of Moses, not anymore. We are under the New Testament. It's what Jesus says that matters. It's who Jesus is that matters. It's what Jesus has done that matters. It's through him that we find our salvation. It's through him that we have our hope. There is no other way to be right with God except through Christ and through his word, through the gospel. James 2 verse 12, James writes to his brethren, he says, so speak, and so act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. He's referring to the gospel, the gospel plan of salvation. You act and you live as those who are gonna be judged by that standard. We are today, right now in history, we are under the New Testament. And it's good for people to understand this because it answers a lot of questions religiously. It answers a lot of controversies. It answers a lot of divisive issues. If we would just read our New Testaments and ask, what would God have us to do? How does God want people to be saved? How does God want people to worship? How does God want people to be organized in the New Testament church? If we'd answer those questions from the New Testament, we'd find that the plan that God has given us is very simple. It's very straightforward. It's very, very easy for us to understand. The problem that most people have, it's been my observation, is not the ability to understand what God wants. The problem most people have is the will to do what God wants. Because people can understand one thing and then they say, you know, but I really don't want to do that. I don't want to do what God says. The Old and New Testaments, understanding that division, it makes all the difference in our Bible study. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been worshiping with us and you're thinking about becoming a New Testament Christian. The way that somebody becomes a Christian under the New Testament, and this is new as of 2,000 years ago, is to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, to believe that what he did on the cross matters to you, to confess his name before others, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, to repent of your sins, and then to be baptized, to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. 
That's the New Testament plan for how someone who is outside of Christ comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to do that this morning. If we can help you with that, if we can pray for you, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing. Lord.